Welcome to Movieology, your ticket to digging deeper into the meaning of movies. This is the monthly talk show that discusses film, offering in-depth reviews and analysis, sifting through new releases, hits of the year, and favorites of all time. I'm Joe Darnell. I'm Eric Rauch. And I'm Michael Mingoff. Welcome to Movieology. So, this is what, episode seven or eight or something like that? I think so. And we're talking about a thriller? Is yeah. That what it, yeah. I guess. Not, not I like, guess. Well, what's it's the, like a detective thriller. I don't know. I wouldn't. Thriller. Yeah. Suspense, okay. maybe? Suspense. I, I, I guess that's, I guess that's a, a synonym for thriller. It, it just, it doesn't, anyway, I don't, I don't mean, yeah, I don't mean yeah. to derail anything, but yeah, yeah, sure. It's a thriller. Sure. Cool. Good, good. good. All right. And the fun thing about this film is that it's uh, throwing us a lot of curves. So this is going to be a different sort of discussion for us because we're still mulling over what we what we think about this film. And I don't know. No, I don't think that's the case. Okay. Eric's already decided. Yeah, we've decided. I think we've all decided what we think of it. We're just trying to decide whether or not the, 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 uh, the director and the rest of the crew <laughs> was, was as really as inept as they appear to be. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's inept. I just it's it's hard to say whether or not it's intentional. That's that's a little more agreed. Yeah, okay. All right. I mean, as a it looks good. Shot yeah. well, acted well. It was uh, acted really well. Yeah. So, a little bit about this film from Rotten Tomatoes in case you didn't already know about it. Did it's you even say what what, what movie it is? It's called Prisoners. Yeah. And it's got some people in it. Um Rotten Tomatoes, this is what they had to say about it. Prisoners has an emotional complexity and a sense of dread that makes for absorbing and disturbing viewing. At times, I agree. Yeah, so that's like the sum total of this film as far as some amalgamated critical review would have to say about it. Yeah, and and I think I think the short little blurbs that I saw before going to see the movie, the the question that the movie asks is how far would you go? How far would you go? What would you do to get that child back? Right. And that's 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 the basic question the movie pretends to be answering, but it goes it goes off into many many other other avenues and other tangents that just don't seem to help. Right. What kind of took me by surprise was I enjoyed the film a little bit more than I thought it was worth. That was my personal experience, so that was when I decided, hey, maybe we should, could talk about this film and there would be something to it. It seemed like the, 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 the film, even while you were watching it, appeared more significant than it turned out to be. Like, at the end of the film, I was like, did I, did I miss everything? Yeah. And did I catch a anything? bunch of things yeah. that, that didn't really mean anything? <laughs> right. And, and that, was that purposeful? Like, was that intentional? And that leads me into the point that the tomato meter gave it an 81% and the audience gave it an 89. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and just discuss it here at the top of the show. Like, what what would you rate this film, Eric? Well, first of all, it's too long. It was it was So it doesn't deserve that higher ranking based on its length considering no, what you get no, from it. No. Just because it it didn't need to be. It didn't need to be that long. Um now granted, when I was sitting in the theater watching the movie, it didn't feel that long. No, it, it didn't. didn't. It didn't seem like it so was. It was absorbing, like yeah, you said. Yeah, there was a payoff there for me as a viewer, asking, knowing that that was the question that was being asked, and watching Hugh Jackman kind of devolve from this this moral upstanding individual, and in that in that way, it's kind of like watching Walter White, where you can you can kind of you can understand each step. Down the down the ladder, but it almost seems like he was already there, though. Like he was kind of holding it together because he hadn't been tested. But yeah, you, but you don't, cause, yeah, because you don't you don't know anything about him. But he was obviously a kind of a guy who took things to extremes. Yeah, and that and that's I think that's part of the problem is you don't have much character development, and you have no character development after after the suspense. There's begins. no backstory. There's no backstory on anything. You, I mean, you don't know how you don't know how the man and the woman, uh, Hugh Jackman and his wife, met. I mean, you, you just I mean, and not not that made that's not important. But you don't you don't feel a whole lot of empathy for him because you don't really know much about him. Right. I, I'd put it in like the sixty five seventy range. Huh, maybe. Okay. Maybe that's too low. What would that translate into stars for you? If you gave it a star rating. Out of how many? Yeah, like five. Three and a half. Okay. I guess. Three, yeah. three and a half. All right. How about, how about you? 
I don't know. I it's a movie that I I don't mind that I've seen it. It's a movie that I'll never watch again. But I, I won't watch that. it again. Right. That's right. And I'm and if someone's like, hey, should I go and watch that movie? I'm going to be like, eh, you can skip it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's usually def- skippable. It's, it's not going to do anything for you one way or the other. So what would you give it out of five then? Out of five, I don't know, three maybe two and a half. Huh. Okay. Cool. Well, here's a little bit more about the film's production. Joe told me to read this, so I'm going to read it. Okay. What is Prisoners? Prisoners is a 2013 American thriller film directed by Dennis Villeneuve and starring Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Viola Davis, Mario Bello, Terrence Howard, Melissa Leo, and Paul Dano. The plot focuses on the abduction of two young girls in rural Pennsylvania, (laughs) the rural juror. You guys watch 30 Rock? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, the plot focuses on the abduction of two young girls in rural Pennsylvania and the resulting search to find them. The film pre- premiered at the 2013 Telluride Film Festival and was released theatrically in North America on September 20th, 2013. Okay, here's the storyline. When daughters go missing, the Dovers call the police. <laughs> the brother of one of the girls says that an RV was parked on the street nearby. The police find the RV and the mentally challenged man inside who is their lead suspect. Detective Loki, who's in charge, questions the man who says nothing relevant to the case. Mr. Keller Dover, father of one of the girls, tells Detective Loki to keep him locked up so they can work on him. But the detective says without more evidence they have to let their only suspect go. When Keller learns of this, he goes to confront the suspect who says something which makes the father believe the culprit is the man the detective is letting go. Keller is challenged to consider how far he will go. He will you go. Yeah, there's a typo. (laughs) To rescue the daughters while Detective Loki unravels a grim reality involving many unsolved cases of missing children. All right. Yeah. So, like we already mentioned, this film was over two hours long and... I didn't notice that going into it. I, I generally just try to avoid as many details about a film going into it mm-hmm. because I know that will impact my my prejudgments of the film. So apart from just watching a movie trailer, I try to skip all the public information. And it didn't occur to me how long it was until the credits were rolling and I looked at my watch and I thought to myself, huh, well, that was one of the films that... Oh, it's tomorrow. <laughs> But to me, it didn't feel like it dragged. It didn't no, it feel didn't. like it, it, it was poorly and that, paced. And that is, it was a long movie, but it did, it, it did keep going. Yeah. I almost felt like this film did everything it needed to for Act 1 and Act 2. Where it really suffered to me was with Act 3. But what I really liked about the film as a whole was how refreshingly paced it was and the very low-key cinematography just very plain jane let's just point this camera seemingly obvious camera shots yeah no frou-frou it didn't seem like they they wanted anything to get in the way of the story and allowing the actors to play the part right but they did capture that winter light which is cool yeah but they did yeah, it, it, it was it, it was well shot i mean it did it did certainly captured rural pennsylvania it was um, filmed in georgia was it really yes it where, totally where they get doesn't the snow? feel like it i'm not exactly sure oh but it, yeah, it, it it felt it felt exactly. I mean, that's where I grew up. And that's that's what it it felt like. It could have been any town, Pennsylvania. That I mean, that I I bought into that. I didn't I didn't know it was filmed in Georgia. The scene that 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 I thought was the best scene in the movie was when Hugh Jackman and and Jake Gyllenhaal are sitting in the police car and they're having that that discussion back and forth mm-hmm. where where he goes and he gets the bottle of 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 whiskey because. He's he's going somewhere where he shouldn't be and, and, and whatever. But um, Jake being the detective, Jake being the detective, and Hugh being the father of of one of the girls that was that was abducted, and that was great. That was I, I for me, I think that was the best part of the movie because it it was tense, but it was very very it was very real. Yeah. What I didn't like about the film and as a whole was how it seemed like it set up so many clever. Suspense elements. elements, yeah, and then it didn't pay off right. most of any of them. And when it was done, 
it felt like as low key as the cinematography was, that the ending was even more low key. What's the opening scene of the movie? It was uh, Keller Dover and his son hunting deer in the woods. Yeah. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, like, uh, because he doesn't really even have any, any significant scenes with his, sons af- with his right. son after that. And doesn't he, in that scene, isn't he like quoting the Lord's Prayer or something? Yeah. Something biblical? Yeah. Yeah, there's, and, and you don't really get the sense of if that's something he's thinking or if he's saying that while his son's lining up to shoot, to take down this, take down this deer or I, I you don't, you don't know because it, because then it, then it cuts to them driving home with the deer in the back of the pickup truck. Hugh Jackman, I can't remember what you, you just said his name. Dover. Keller Dover. Keller Dover. Telling him that the best piece of advice my grandfather ever, or my dad ever gave to me was always be prepared. Hope, well, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Yeah, which that comes out a couple of times. But but he goes into more into more meaning or, or more detail about what that means. Well, what does it mean to be to be prepared? You know the 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 bottom of the world can fall out, but but we're gonna be okay because I've stockpiled a bunch of food. I have a gas mask in my in my basement that apparently is significant, but apparently isn't. He's got bags of lie. He's got bags of lie. Because um, you need lie, right? Yeah, everybody needs lie, especially if you're a prepper. Like in a zombie apocalypse, you yeah. probably like throw it on zombie right. face. Right. Okay, there are a couple of things about this movie. For one, why is it called Prisoners? Well, I know why. Okay. Because I was a prisoner in the movie theater <laughs> for two and a half hours. No. no, 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 really, honestly. Why was it called Prisoners? I, I was trying to think about this after. Because there are a couple of things where there's like slight connections. You have this question of, okay... At the beginning, they're shooting that deer, and you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with something, because remember how uh, later on when uh, Keller Dover's son is talking to uh, Terrence Howard, whoever his character's son, uh, daughter? So the son and the daughter are talking, and she asks him, do you feel bad when you're eating the deer you know, that you shot? And he's talking about how well you know you have you you know it's not that bad because if you, you got to kill some of them so that their population goes down because otherwise yeah you, you feel bad for the cows right you feel bad for the cows when you go to McDonald's yeah. et cetera you got to kill some of them so the population goes down et cetera so you have this kind of feeling of like like the deer is innocent right in a sense innocent whoa anyway, right the way it's um, portrayed is it's portrayed innocent yeah and so they they kill and eat it and the question is there's a there's a certain you know, population control or whatever. Are they playing gods with the deer? Are they playing gods with the deer population? And then later on, the you know innocent children who are made also to disappear, uh, who are who are uh, you know destroyed or whatever. The the same kind of question is there. Are they are they uh, yeah, the people I, who are taking them? Are they doing anything much different? Well, than, I could I could see that as being significant if they would have made reference. Yeah. yeah, but they but they don't, and and it they. I mean, that's a connection that, that you're making that, that I don't think the movie explicitly it, No, made. it doesn't. Or even, it, even it, implicitly. It, in, in a lot of ways, this movie seems like it's about empty symbols. Because there are so many symbols in this movie right. and possibilities for symbols in the movie that, that seem to have no referent. Right. It's like you have the signum, but you don't have the res. You want to like, talk about the, the candle lighting scene in the, out in the neighborhood. Like, what was up with that? Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> what do you call it where a they vigil. have the... Huh? A vigil, candlelight vigil. Of some yeah, kind? but yes. that but that happens all the time, Joe. I mean, that, especially up in Pennsylvania. And it was clarified Often. that the Dover family was Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and that's not even if you're not Catholic. There's, I mean, we had we had a candlelight vigil on the Penn State campus when well when there was a shooting on the campus. And and I, I mean, we're talking about Penn State students. They, they they weren't they were just doing what they saw their parents doing when when something horrific. It was happened. like in between orgies, you know. <laughs> I don't even know that it's a Roman Catholic thing. I don't, yeah, I don't think it is. It's just I don't think a, it has anything necessarily to do with that. It, it may have it may have come out of that at one point, but now but it's just it's like a pagan rite. It's just a thing. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is it's just a thing. There's like nothing behind it anymore. But maybe what you do is you give the movie props for that. It's just um, impossible to determine if it's if it's intentional in, or in if it's significant. It right. Because if it's intentional, then you are driven to find the significance of it. But there's all sorts of meaningless symbology exactly. that happens in 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 each of our lives every day, so well, you could you could say that that was just, I, I mean I don't think they were doing that intentionally, right? But you could say that that was that they were just throwing a bunch of things up there. This is potential evidence. Evidence. This is potential evidence that 
it, it ends up being a rabbit trail to nowhere. Right. And let's just start with the maze right there. Right. Right. If or you talk mask. about the maze. No, but it's important to talk about the maze because remember what he says? I tried it. There's no way out. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what are you talking about with this maze? What is the maze in the story? All right. So in the story, there is a maze that um, figures prominently. I mean, it's in the O of prisoners in the title of the movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. It's it's very faint, but it's there. And um, basically, the first time you see it is this medallion that this guy is wearing under the house of the under priest. the house of a priest, dead body wearing this this maze medallion that even though it seems like it would be rather significant, no one seems to pay any attention to because it doesn't even pop up again until way later. And I'm sitting here going the whole time, hey, do you remember that medallion that guy was wearing? And hey, Loki, detective, detective Loki, you remember that medallion? But, but, but not only that, but you okay, you dug up a body underneath the priest's house who is a sex offender, and you bring him in for one interview. Right. And you're like, well, oh, that's a dead end. Are you serious? Right. There's a dead body in the guy's house. He's a sex house. offender, and the guy says that the dead man, he was waging a war on God, and right. he was right. like Before apparently he he killed him. 16 kids. So it's like, this seems kind of, um, you know, relevant. And ultimately, the priest killed that man. And, and, and the priest is hiding it because the, the, the refrigerator is moved over to this secret door right. in the kitchen. So, I mean, there's like all to these... To a basement all without these, a like, staircase. All these like really uh, gripping... Things that you yeah. see, like wow, and, this is significant, and then, and then it, it turns out to pretty much not be. And, and it wasn't there like a statue of an angel down in the basement. Yeah, there's all right. sorts of creepy stuff. All in sorts that of creepy, empty symbols down there. And then you've got this maze p- popping up again later when this guy who is again like not do. It's this Bob Taylor kid who apparently was kidnapped and apparently went through. Uh, you know. You know, you kind of find out what happened to him, I guess, at the end of the movie. But when you we'll, first we'll get see into him, the more spoiler territory in a few minutes. Yeah, when you first see him, though, he's just like this freak who's dr- drawn mazes all over his house, and is no. The first time you see him is at the candlelight vigil. Well, he's at the candlelight vigil, right? But I'm saying you you go and you find him, and you actually find out more about him. Loki like tracks him down or whatever. They get, they go to his house, and it's covered in these same mazes, literally covered, covered I mean, the in them. Walls, oh, the walls are walls covered are in covered. these mazes. And um, but what was the significance? Like, who started by producing these mazes? I guess it was the guy who had the medallion. Right, was the one who initiated the significance of well, these mazes. This well, maze they, thing. they give them these these books of mazes and say, when you finish them, you can go home. And there's no there's no indication of what that even means. Like, when you're finished with the maze, you can go home. And apparently, going home is like getting shot up with like a a, a death medicine, so you'll die. And yeah, yeah. So I mean, in a way, like, is that is that supposed to be some commentary on what our lives are like? You've got this detective whose name is Loki. Loki is the Nordic god of mischief and chaos. He liked just screwing things up, just because he liked to screw things up. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed making people miserable for the sake of making them miserable. And then you look at like the Greek gods, where all sorts of Greek philosophers used to say, you know, and even Shakespeare picks up on this that the gods. Uh, you know, plague us, torment us for their sport. Like we're playthings for their sport, and they just like torment us and and like give us troubles because it entertains them, right? And so you have this idea of this sort of futility of life. You're going through a maze that there's no way out, and then at the end, go when you quote unquote finish the maze. Finishing the maze is just dying, right? So like life sucks, and then you die, <laughs> and uh, and that's what they've apparently. Uh, bought into except for they're not satisfied with just going through the maze themselves the kidnappers of these children want to actually become the gods of of torment the, the gods of chaos right it's and as they, much as possible as much as possible and they want to turn other people into the gods of torment because they are apparently waging a war on god for taking their child so they go around taking other people's children okay blah 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 <laughs> And there are like a million and a half trillion seeming significations that end up leading absolutely nowhere, just like that stupid maze. And your question is, is the director, are the director and screenwriter here, are they like, are they just messing with you? Did they, or are they purposefully putting these these empty symbols in here in order to, to actually be a, a, a internal representation of of the futility that they actually think is the case in life in general. I don't really know, but Loki's got like Zodiac symbols all over his, you know, tattooed on his fingers. But if it is futility, then, then the movie ends at the wrong place. 
Because if it's, if it's truly futility, then the girls wouldn't be rescued and, and the guy wouldn't be found in the pit. Right. He would, he would just be there. He would just be left there to rot. Right. And that's kind of what Loki's point is with the Bob Taylor thing. When he goes in there and he's talking to that other investigator and the investigator says, oh, all of this stuff is based on a book. Bob Taylor never killed anybody. He never kidnapped anybody. He was just mimicking. And the maze is unsolvable. The maze is unsolvable and he was just mimicking stuff from this book. And so then, you know, the the Loki's question is, well, then does, does this not mean anything? You know what I mean? Like, is this has got to connect to something. There's got to be something here. Like, what? why would they have, why would he have their clothes? Why would he... You know what I mean? Like, why? It, this, it doesn't make any sense for this just to be a meaningless mimicry from a fictional book that doesn't mean anything. It all is because who ends up solving the crime? Hugh Jackman. How does Hugh Jackman do it? See, I was wondering about this. Does Hugh Jackman's kidnapping of Loki just comes goes to the house to let the aunt or whoever she claims no. to be that your son, your right, your the kid you've been a guardian over and who who disappeared was being tortured by by the the father. Okay, but Hugh Jackman figured it out because Terrence Howard's daughter, the black girl, laying in the bed, and she said, there. "You were there." So instantly, like click, it all clicks. He figures it out. So he, he, that's why he goes to the house. So he does figure it out. The cops don't help, and it is a kind of a, a random screw up because somehow that girl saw him there, and I guess he wouldn't have been there if he hadn't been trying to lead, you know, follow up on. The stuff that he had learned from Trying to do Alex police Jones, yeah. not the conspiracy theorist right. on the yeah, radio, not the Infowars guy, but the uh, which again, I mean, is a is a dead end. There are so many, there are so many blind staircases in this stinking film, dude. Like there are so many. What does it mean that this guy's name is Loki? What does it mean that he has a Masonic ring on his pinky finger? The whole movie what does it mean that he has zodiac symbols tattooed onto his fingers that, what does it mean that he has a cross that's either an upright cross or an inverted saint peter's cross that he was raised in a boy's way, home that he's raised in a boy's home. what does any of this mean yeah. like it doesn't it, it, it you're thinking that there's going to be some like magnificent reveal at some point and you're going to find out everything and it like doesn't happen and just when you think there might be a magnificent reveal guess what happens they show you the name of the movie again and they roll the credits right it's like, it's not even a fade to black. It's a it's, it's a cut to black. It's like yelling into the abyss. Yep, that's what I've been doing for the past two and a half hours. Mm. And even though that's not terribly satisfying, I think it would be a whole lot more satisfying if 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 it were clear to me that the director's blind staircases were intentional. Where it was like, no, like it these these blind staircases weren't from incompetent storytelling. They were intentional. We were we were we were making a statement about life. We're bouncing all around the symbolism, but let's get a little bit more into the what is the moral to the story? And the moral to the story is usually revealed by the actions of the lead protagonist and what he ultimately does. Typically, a protagonist in a story arc is doing something he believes is right early in the film, but he goes about doing it the wrong way. And maybe by the end of the film, the most tried-and-true plot development is that the protagonist learns what he really needs to pursue, and he, and he gets his ga- act together, and, and then he pursues it in the right way. Now, if, if that's, like, that's the, the template, this film doesn't match that template. This film is far from it because... It's hard to say who's the protagonist. Except that the studio's... You know, copy of the description of the movie is saying that Keller Dover, played by Hugh Jackman, is the lead protagonist. He's the guy at the very first scene. Detective Loki is not, even though Detective Loki carries a lot of the film. Yeah, he does. Keller Dover is listed as the lead protagonist. And what ends up happening in him is he sinks into his mire. He convicts himself because he realizes. I'm praying the Lord's Prayer all the time, and in the Lord's Prayer it says, and help us forgive those that trespass against us. Well, As we forgive those. Yes, exactly. Right. So, like, forgive us our debts as we forgive those. There is a and point, he can't even get past the line. He, he's, he's quoted that prayer a few times in the film, and it comes to this one point where he's torturing the guy he believes has got his daughters. And he says this prayer out of just like going through the motions and when he gets to that part of the prayer he stumbles all over himself and he can't get it out and he breaks into tears but he's right 
throughout the whole movie, he's right because that kid does know something. That mm. kid does know. So he so at the end, he's vindicated of sorts of sorts because he. Even the other father, who, whose whose daughter was abducted, said, "You're going too far. We can't follow you in this. We're not going to report you to the police, but we're not weak. We can't be a part of this because he was torturing this mentally handicapped. Yeah, he he was a man. He was like like a twenty seven, twenty twenty five, twenty seven year old year old man. He had the mindset they say of a of a of a ten year old, and so Hugh Jackman abducts this kid and he watches him walk out of his walk out of his driveway and strangle a dog. You know, try basically take a dog within an inch of its life and then let it down and act like, well, okay, let's go for a walk. And and the kid is singing the song that, that, that his two daughters were singing the last right right before they, they they disappeared. So he knows he knows something. And then when they determine that he really doesn't know anything, you know, he's mentally incapable. There's no way that this guy could have pulled off this crime. It was his camper. It was his RV. But we can't, we being the police, we, we just can't hold him any longer. Hugh Jackman comes to the police station, grabs him, and then holds him between two cars, look, looking in his eyes, and he says, they were crying until I left them. So through, like, through the whole movie, he is right. This kid does know something. And he was an unwitting accomplice right. in the kidnapping of the right. kids. So he is, he's, he's, he is doing the better police work in that he's pursuing albeit for totally emotional reasons and because he wants to find his daughter, he's he's going above and beyond the judicial system and, and he does become a vigilante, but he's right. In a sense, he's right. Well, no, he, I, no I, mean, I mean, he's right in, in the sense that, that this kid does know. And, and he, he is, he would, he doesn't, he never gives him the answer. It turns out that, that the girl ends up giving him the, the answer. You know, you were there. Right. And he puts it all together. But he... He was right in the sense that that what his intuition told him, this guy knows something, and he's not telling me, so I'm going to torture him until he gives it to me. Wrong actions, right motives. Right. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason. Right. And, and ultimately, that, ultimately, he pays for doing the wrong thing. And that's thing. what it seems like the movie's asking. You know, how far would you go? Would you do this? And and if he hadn't done it, or his daughter would not have been saved. Probably not. Right. So it does it does lead you to a certain empathy for him. He was going down the wrong the wrong pathway. He shouldn't have been doing this, but at the end of the day, look look, he he ended up getting his daughter back. So the question is there's obviously a sort of fate or a sort of destiny at work. And you know, he asked for a fortune cookie at the Loki asked for a fortune cookie at the Chinese restaurant and the waitress uh, told him, you know, we didn't give it to you because my boss thinks that uh, police officers don't like fortune cookies. So there's this question of, you know, so he he starts turning the 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 Chinese calendar, yeah, back on her, right, right, and then you know, eventually ends up the Chinese calendar ends up working in his disfavor as far as the fortune cookie yeah. and his bill is concerned. Okay, but then. So you're kind of asking the question throughout, like, what is the significance of this constant reference to, like, fate and the meaning behind things, if there is a meaning behind things? I mean, even the cinematography. Yeah, exactly. The director did it, too, though. At the the beginning of the movie, they focus in on this tree bark. And you're just like... Why? Yeah. And they focus in on the gas mask. And they focus and the in guy, on the gas mask. As in, this is, remember this gas mask. I mean, right. they, they hold on it for a yeah for a good couple seconds. I right. mean, it's, it's a significant moment. I was studying that tree bark, trying to figure out what, like, what is <laughs> Maybe this? Maybe it was a maze. Is there you some, would never figure that tree bark out. Exactly. <laughs> if you were inside there, you'd never get out. Um, no, and I, I mean, is Trees that... Trees contemplate tree bark their whole lives. Is that the point? <laughs> is that the point? That like because fate ends up working both ways, right? If you think about it in terms of fate is cruel or fate is blind, uh, you know, and and what's his first name? You know, Keller, like Helen Keller, like well. And did blind you notice woman? throughout like, the film the way they pronounce his name? Most folks in the film, I I don't think that there's anything to it, but over and over again, when people call him Keller, they spit it out like killer, a killer. And they kept on saying it and like slurring it. Everybody. 
And that bugged me because I was like, are you trying to say because this guy has stockpiled a bunch of stuff to protect his family and because, yes, he is a hunter and he provides for his family in his own way that he's a bad guy? He is as bad. Are you? I mean, I mean, like a lot of films, a lot of TV these days, they just like to make the, the good guys as bad or almost as bad as the bad guys. And just thanks to one tiny inkling of being slightly morally superior, the, the protagonist is considered a good guy, given, you know, the series of The Sopranos. There's a slight hint of more, more moral upstanding to the protagonist, but it's ever so slight. I don't know, man. I can't figure it out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it does seem to be relevant in the fact that he's a prepper. That He does have all this stuff in his basement. He's, he's prepared for the worst. E- every situation... Except this one, and and he's he doesn't know how to handle this, and in the end, the the prepper needs the police to come save him. After all, and you know? ha ha ha, how how's that for irony? But it doesn't even seem like like that like that was even the point. I'm, Is I'm, that I'm hard pressed to say what was the point. Like I really yeah, and and I wouldn't even say that if it were just like a crime thriller. There was only one thing that I can think of that paid off. What the child's whistle. Yeah, but even that was like, what? What's the meaning of that? Exactly, there really isn't a meaning. It's just that early on, the family notices that the child had a whistle that has gone missing yeah, for 133 on, days. Yeah, she says, "Yeah." So, in other words, something that was significant, significant in the beginning does become significant in the end. That's how you work it. That that, that is yes. That, that's yeah, how but you're it's not to significant. Do it. But it's not. It no. is not. It, it like it. It has no significance because if he didn't have a whistle, he would have just been yelling. I don't even know why he was using the whistle rather than yelling once he, he heard them using get it very there. Well. No, it was like, mm, yeah. maybe he was weak and cold. <laughs> to clarify, at the end of the film, the bad guy has nabbed Keller Dover and thrown him into an underground tunnel in their property Pit. and covered the it up. The bad guy with- or the bad girl? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I called that one from the beginning. <laughs> Actually, everything as far as the plot of this movie, I figured out basically 30 to 45 minutes in. I'm trying. I'm trying to give this movie the benefit of the doubt, and believe that these that these directors, these screenwriters, had more in mind than just a plot-driven crime thriller. Because just sheerly on the basis of the plot, there wasn't the necessity of all these other extraneous things. And I'm trying to figure out whether they put these extraneous things in there to make a point. Or whether that just like gave it a misleading mystery, so that you were less likely to figure out what was going on well, during the that's period. That's where I, I think I think the the name of the movie is significant because it it does seem to belabor the point that we're all prisoners of what of, of some sort. We're all prisoners, and when we're Hugh Jackman is a prisoner of his own drive to find his daughter. Terrence Howard is a prisoner of you know. I can't follow you in this, but I'm but I'm all, I won't, I'm also going to basically sit here and do nothing and wait for the cops to the 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 police are prisoners because they can only do they can only do so much. Um, the girls obviously are prisoners because they're being held against their will. the The psychotic killer is a prisoner because of what happened to him when he was when he was a boy, and he's a prisoner of psychosis. And then and then at the end, he is literally a prisoner down in a pit. I I mean that. That's the only thing I can figure that there's all sorts of prisoners throughout the movie. And some are behind bars, some aren't. Some are being held by the police, some aren't, but they're all prisoners of a sort. And is there significance to that? I don't know. Are they saying being alive is like being in a prison? Or are they yeah, saying it's, it's not answered. We're, we're imprisoned by the meaninglessness of reality and we want to make meaning out of it or we want to take... We want to think that things are significant, but they're not, and so we're held prisoner. And that's one of the reasons why religion has such power over us, is because, I mean, yeah. Well, that and, and that that is a point that comes up over and over again. Keller Dover is a religious guy, right? At the beginning of the film, they're celebrating Thanksgiving, right? But to them, it's completely an empty shell of the significance of that holiday. Right. And the uh, the lady and, and her husband were were devout religious people. I mean, there's religious prisoners, too. But they dropped one religious significance for another. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. and, and, I mean, I'm yeah. almost wondering whether the director and the, the, uh, or the screenwriter or whatever are trying to make the point that like, we would all be free 
if we stopped trying to find some deeper significance to these events or or not we're or or we are all prisoners and we're we're technically we're not free because we're all prisoners of a sort whether it's a religion whether it's this whether it's that whether it's a combination of three of them was um, loki a prisoner yeah i think he was because what well remember, remember when he comes in he, he just pushes all the stuff off of his desk he throws this big tantrum because yeah. he can't he, he he can't do it he can't solve yeah he can't and and remember what they said about him he solved every case that he's ever been on except this one right and so he's so he's he's a prisoner of his own ego he kind of understood also where keller was coming from when keller was had kidnapped alex jones i think loki knew he had a he had an inkling at least like that was the case that's right. That, that scene, scene, that scene in the in, in, in the in the police car, is so brilliant, right? Because he knew something was going on there, right? And then and that's when he goes back and he researches and he finds out that that Hugh Jackman's dad committed suicide and didn't building. leave a note. But then but then he finds that address and that's when he goes to that house, right? And even that, like he committed suicide but didn't le- like, leave a note, and you're left you're left trying to figure out why. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing is it's like. But remember, his his dad was the one who told him. Be prepared, be prepared for everything, and his right. dad committed suicide. So right. it, it is futility. Well, yeah. The, ask it's almost like you're a prisoner to why. the The why question is the question that we're all imprisoned in, mm-hmm. and some of us answer it with you know one answer, and some of us an- answer it with others. Loki is sort of a strange character because he has symbols on him that represent all of the answers to why. Mm-hmm. But in the end, he doesn't really know why either. There are an abundance of answers. There are just none that actually satisfy right. all the questions. Right. What's interesting, too, is that if that's the theme of the film, then let's go back to Mrs. Dover. She is evading the problem. Yeah, just right. to forget. She, yeah. yeah, she medicates, forgets, uh, crashes in her bed for the whole film after the kids are kidnapped. And she only starts to come to when it's already too late and she couldn't be there to help her husband. Mm-hmm. Or to be a significant force in the family. And the son is also a prisoner in his own way, trying to figure out the whys. Because he's trying to help his dad, but he's and, also and, trying to figure and out And dad won't dad. tell him. Dad will give him the answers. Just just, just do what I say. your mother. Yeah do, yeah. yeah, do what I say. Be strong. Mm-hmm. So I just had one question for you guys. I think I know what I would say. If y'all could tweak this film, what did this film need to do to go from three, three and a half stars up. Because we got a lot of symbology that's never really well performed. There's all these misleading things of the story. It's It seemed to me like where this movie starts is not where it ends up. And, and that's fine. If it's if it's misdirection of sorts, that, that's good. But it's not. It's just it's broken storytelling. It, yeah. just, it starts in one place and, and it goes to another, kind of left wondering... Hey, what am I missing that that eighty nine percent of Rotten Tomatoes viewers aren't? You weren't missing anything that they had caught. Apparently, they just didn't care too much about all these like loose ends. Because uh, th- this is ideological loose I mean, ends. Even even just to go to a, a movie and be entertained, this is not the one I would pick. It's 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 very dark subject matter. Yeah, and and, and it, it does ask good questions. Right. You know, would you would you be willing? to torture the guy that, that you are, that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, knows something about the disappearance of your daughter. Because let's face it, whether you like it or not, this kind of situation didn't happen to these characters because they wanted it to happen or because they were ill-prepared. Right. It just happens. Right. It happens to a Randomly. lot of people. Yeah, is it random? You know, is is fate random or or is it the uh, the operation of some kind of cruel god who, you know, It cannot be entirely random because going back to the whistle... That, again, appears random, but it also pays off in their benefit. If it had been the case that he couldn't contact them in any other way other than the whistle, that'd be one thing. But again, you have a sort of, like, broken significance there as well. I think that the movie would have benefited from an additional scene and probably, like, a shortening of the movie, uh, but, you know, in order to include this. But if there had been some sort of a flashback uh, where Hugh Jackman was talking to his dad... And his dad was indicating, like, you know, that, you know, you just you just go at it and you try and beat your head against the wall and you and you keep on trudging along, you keep on trudging along until you realize, like, none of it means anything. 
Like, if there had been something along those lines... To that, at least say, this is where we're coming from. Right, exactly. Yeah. This is where we're coming from, and all these loose ends, they're they're not really loose ends. Like, we're talking about the meaningless and I futility. I think that scene existed. Which and one? Th- that, what, that very one you're talking about. When Loki's looking up that, that old that old newspaper on the micro on the microfilm, and, and he sees that he committed suicide and left no suicide note. There was no reason. Right, but it... it what I'm saying is, even that feels like a loose end. I'm talking about a scene where, where it was like, impl- where it was explicitly stated, right? Because like, otherwise, it just feels like bad, you know, like bro- a broken story. But I- I'm th- I'm thinking like uh, here. Let's bring up No Country for Old Men again. Um, there there are plenty of scenes in that in that movie where, in spite of their. Um, like there's a dramatic irony going on where the audience feels they know something that's going on that the characters don't even because something's being yeah. revealed. Um, one of the most important ones is where Tommy Lee Jones at the end of the movie um, is talking to his wife, and it's not even it's not even necessarily a, a grand significance to it, but it feels really significant. Or even a realization. Yeah, yeah. It feels really significant because to the to the audience because he's talking about how there's there's light and heat out in the distance, you know. There's somebody out there that's already pioneered the road, and all I got to do is keep going, and maybe I'll get there. And then, and then she's like, "Then what?" Well, then I woke up because it was a dream. Yeah. And so the question is, well, was the dream a dream of significance that indicated what things were really like? That even though it feels dark in the short term, in the long term, things have purpose and meaning. Or is it true that it's just a dream, and that's an illusion and a fantasy that he wishes were the case, and that keeps him going, but in fact, it doesn't have any substance. Right, so e- between those two options, even though there's a certain ambiguity there, it does frame the purpose and idea of the move of, of that movie, or even a scene like in Garden State, where they are actually yelling into the abyss, right? Where they're standing over the hole and they're ah, right. I mean, it, it take all your human power and yell into that black hole. It don't mean nothing, right? Right, and so prisoners, I think, lacked that kind of seminal moment where it felt like it was giving you some insight, almost that the characters ne- didn't necessarily gain that insight, but the audience was allowed inside. Like, this movie seemed to keep the audience at bay, like, right. the whole time. Like, it never really allowed the audience into the into the inner circle of understanding. And because of that, it lacked that kind of drama, which I think re- was a real shortcoming of the film, especially at the end when you felt like, you know... I, there's not a whole lot that I can criticize as far as the actual filmmaking, and yet I don't feel satisfied. Right. I feel unsatisfied. I feel like I have been left... Um, I was unsettled as I was in the beginning. Right. And and not even for a good purpose. Like, right. It's like, I, I have felt... I have felt a lot of the things that, you know, Hugh Jackman felt. I have had my kids taken from me, you know? Like, I have, I understand what it's like to not be able to sleep and not be able to eat and, you know, and 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 be contemplating all sorts of uh, things and wanting to do all sorts of things to try and get them back. Um, you know, in the end, though, I had, I had confidence that there was a non-Loki version of God and that he did do all these things for a purpose. And, you know... Keller Dover ultimately doesn't believe that. He ultimately believes he has to take things into his own hands. Right. And by doing that, he actually destroys any chance he has of making it uh, of making it right when the outcome does come that he wants. Because his kids, those kids, eventually do come back. And guess what? He's going to be in prison. He's going to have that on his on his he- on his head and on his heart like the rest of his life. And and we assume. Well, I mean, even Loki says that when your kids get back, they're going to need you to be there. Right. And he's not but, there anymore. But again, we've, we've already determined that, that Loki's not the final court of appeal here. I think Loki's the best thing we have as far as the final court of appeal because, like, there's another line that he gives, he says when he says, I didn't think it was important or I didn't think it was relevant, and Loki says everything is relevant. You know, like, lines like that that make you think, okay, you know, am I getting a little inside scoop on what the directors or screenwriters are wanting me to think here? That Yeah, but no, you know, not really. Not really, exactly. <laughs> because then at the end of the day, it's like, well, actually, no. It's not. They're not. These things aren't relevant. Like there are all sorts of things that end up being totally hollow. Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean. I. I. I agree with Michael. I think a scene, just just saying what you've what you've just watched is complete randomness, and and it just it just points to the randomness of life and the fact that there isn't a significance in fate, and that you're a prisoner to trying to ask the question why. And if you would just be willing, right, to not receive the answer, then you'd be a happier person. But you'd be free. But they don't. They don't even leave. 
they leave you a prisoner. Yeah. It, it, it flashes and it flashes the name of the movie up at the end. Prisoners. Prisoners. You. you. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I think I don't know, at the end of the day, they they didn't do a good enough job of convincing me that they knew what they were doing. Technically speaking, yeah, they knew what they were doing. And Jake Gyllenhaal did a fantastic job. He really did. Yeah, yeah he was great. Hugh, Hugh Jackman even did a good job, and I don't even terribly like him that much yeah, and as an he actor. Didn't, he didn't sing. He didn't sing in this didn't at all. didn't sing, so that, so that, that was, was a plus. Yeah, that was, that was a major plus. Although yeah, well, if he had sung at the end, that would have been pretty funny. <laughs> um, especially if he had sung from the pit rather than blowing on the whistle. <laughs> that, that's the... That actually... Uh, that could be the real for the how it should have ended video. Yeah, if he had just been like <laughs> screeching oh, atonally from the pit, like, it would have been really similar to what he did in Les Miserables. Yeah, and 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 Loki would have said, what, "Where's that really bad singing coming from? <laughs> is somebody watching Les Miserables in that pit?" <laughs> <laughs> that would have explained the name prisoners. Dong prisoner. <laughs> Look down <laughs> under the Trans Am. <laughs> Well, this kind of ties into the other thing we wanted to discuss this episode, and that was the ending of Breaking Bad. Which Joe hasn't seen, so it's kind of like, oh, who cares? Honestly, guys, I, I just want y'all to talk about it. My and, heart weeps. Yeah, my heart weeps too. But I'm up to, I'm over halfway through the entire series, and I'm really enjoying it. It does rock. And y'all did a great job of discussing it in the other episode. So the thing is, now we wanted to take this opportunity to let you guys... Tell us in your professional, informed opinions what you make of Breaking Bad with its finale. It was good. Oh, and I, I was know. right. I know it's not the same. This is a completely different story, but it seems mighty interesting how there are some corollaries between prisoners and Breaking Bad. How far would you go for your family? Exactly. There are definite are are definite corollaries, and it seems like we are in for another five years at least, of movies that are going to explore the criminal mind way more than Martin Scorsese ever ever dreamed of doing. And that that's really what, what Breaking Bad did. It, well, it, it doesn't need to be done again. Right. Because they, they did it they did it perfectly. They did it right. They put the 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 humanity of the individual first. Prisoners does does kind of follow the same the same idea. There's always gonna be Replicators. There's always going to be people that come along and say, "Oh, this worked for them, so we're going to try and make, we're going to try and condense Breaking Bad down into a two-hour movie." Right? Well, you know, you can't. Right? So don't you can't? Don't try and do it. But they're going to, and they're gonna, they're gonna do it over and over and over again. And the reason I say Martin Scorsese is because he's he's kind of the master of taking the the criminal seedy underground and 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 portraying it not necessarily in a cool manner, but in a in a manner that not only can you relate to where they're coming from. Sure, they really don't care about about what's coming. There is no afterlife as far as they're concerned. They're getting their own now. And so for Vince Gilligan, that's that's not satisfying enough. Uh, no. And he wants, a, he wants them to get their comeuppance in this world because he's not convinced that there's one after to give it to them. Right. One of the things that, that is not being discussed that I think should be discussed, and it's not being discussed among Christians either, is I think that a distinction needs to be made between calamity and wickedness. Like when we use the term evil, we're almost always using it with a moral component. Like, you know, evil and wickedness are basically the same, like that dude's evil or that dude's wicked. There's not really a great deal of difference or distinction between those two things. And because of that, you either believe in God and in some way have to implicate him then for the destruction and death and calamity that you see around us. Right. Uh, and there's a moral component involved in that evil, and so you obviously are, are are faced with this idea of well, if God is really good, then how is how is everything that's going on going on? Right. Enter enter any any atheist apologist out there because that's exactly the, the, that's the question that's that they always go. bring up. Right. Right. And so for like Scorsese and for a lot of other filmmakers, they're like, no, the, the evil and the and the wickedness it comes from men. Yeah. Because that's all there is, and so you can just leave God out of this unless he's convenient for symbology's sake. Because at the and, end of the day, the priest and the and the mobster are all gonna are gonna rot in their grave mm-hmm. e- equally. It doesn't matter, right? Now, from my perspective, though, making a distinction between evil and wickedness is really important. I don't think it's really being done because 
The calamity and destruction and death that's going on in the world is a part of God's plan. I mean, in Jeremiah, it talks about how God has both good and evil in his hand, right? I think the Bible makes a distinction, though, between evil and wickedness. So, like, for instance, when you read the proverb and it says, uh, God created everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil, Mm -hmm. there's two words being used there, and there actually is a distinction there, that the wicked man has been created for the day of destruction, the day of calamity. So the the wicked man, because of his wickedness, does produce calamity. But that calamity is actually in the hand and under the power and under the direction of God. Which leads right into Romans 9. Exactly. That that, that the the vessels prepared for destruction are there so that the righteousness for the vessels of mercy... But also, so that there's a contrast. Not just because there's a contrast. As soon as wickedness enters into the world, evil enters in with it because evil is necessary to destroy wickedness. Right. If there is not destruction and calamity, then then wickedness goes on indefinitely. Right. Destruction and calamity are necessary in order to swallow up wickedness. Mm-hmm. They are they attend wickedness, and so I think it's a really really important thing for Christians to start exploring this distinction and talking about it a little bit more, um, both in terms of vindicating God, you know, the whole idea of theodicy uh, is a, an important concept in the scriptures and otherwise. I mean, like Job is a classic theodicy. Uh, and also because the the world doesn't really have an answer. They can explore the criminal mind. Right. And they can explore evil and wickedness and they can see that there's some uh, there's some connection between those things right but ultimately because they've rejected a sovereign god they don't understand what the true and valuable significance of evil is right but but that's where the the final scene of breaking bad is it does it does bring in an element of redemption jesse drives through the chains drives through the through the wall of his prison as walt is what what Vince Gilligan called his precious. Walt is back inside his precious in his meth lab, the 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 place where he told Skyler, "No, I did it for me. Right, I was doing it for me because I liked it. I was good at it, and it made me feel alive. Made me, made me feel alive. So the thing that made him feel alive ultimately led to his death. And and as as his as his hand falls off the, I mean that's a that's a flashback to the fly episode, right? Which which turns out, you know, you think when you're watching, it doesn't seem to move the story along at all. The fly episode it does, but that was the pivotal of the whole thing. That was the pivotal episode. Well, did you hear anything about like Felina is obviously some sort of an anagram for uh, finale, finale, but also it like there were a couple of people that were talking about how it's iron, lithium, and sodium. And so it points back to the conversation that uh, Walt was having with uh, Schwartz, uh, with Mrs. Schwartz, about the uh, chemical makeup of the human. And they were were talking about that small, like, point zero 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 whatever percent that was unaccounted for. Yeah. And... uh, The fly. That's the fly, right? That's the contaminant. That's That's the idea of, like, is there something more... To the person, and even the camera when Walt's on on the floor dead pulls or dying, up. yeah, the camera pulls up into the ceiling, like you know, almost a, like from the perspective of the fly, right. uh, exactly. that that exactly. that small contaminant that's rising up, right? That last little bit that wasn't accounted for in Walt's right. chemistry, but it's also at the same time revealing the contaminant. Mm-hmm. What what was the contaminant? What was the the contaminant that needed to be eradicated in order for Jesse's redemption to be to actually happen? It's. I mean, there's there's all these things going on, and 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 apparently Felina is a is a is a it's a character in that Marty Robbins song that he's that he's listening to mm. when he when he steals that car, right? <laughs> which which has the the ultimate like Fonzie moment, right? When when he gets to the car and he and he and he bangs his elbow on the window and all the all the snow falls off, right? You know, it's like like where where did that come from? It it if if that was just stuck in like here's this chemistry teacher banging all the snow, but but like everything that happened before that it all builds up like walt at this point is almost a vapor right he's, he's really almost a ghost and he's he but he's going back and he's he's setting things as as best as he can back to a point where where okay i'm gonna i'm taking myself out of this equation so i'm gonna do the best that i can to make everything right everything right before i leave right right 
masterful. It was masterful. And it, I, it, it was. I love that he gave Jesse the opportunity to shoot him. Oh, the, the, yeah. And what Jesse said at that moment was just so powerful. Yeah. He was like, I need you to say that you want this. I need you to say it. And he says, I want this. And Jesse's like, then do it yourself. Do it yourself. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Control Freak. Right. Do it yourself. And just drops Perfect. the gun and leaves. Perfect. Perfect. And Even, there were plenty of places where, where you know, Gilligan had the opportunity to write it wrong. Right. You know, where there were plenty of missteps that he could have taken and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Seriously, that was one of the best finales for a show that I've yeah. ever seen. It, it, it was understated. He wasn't trying to like go, you know, right. do any kind of twist endings right. or oh, actually, what ended up happening was the Schwartzes were actually the owners of Madrigal. Yeah. What? Yeah, and, like, and it and it and it never it never really tried to answer the question why why was Walt so upset with him? Mm-hmm. Well, why did he walk away from Grey Matter? What what what, what happened there? It, it just it just didn't it didn't and it also didn't answer what happened to uh um. What's his name? Uh, Goodman. Saul, 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 Goodman. Saul Goodman's guy. The, the guy that, that his his big henchman who was sitting right, in that right. room. Like, whatever happened to him? Yeah. He wasn't important. <laughs> but uh, he's probably still sitting in that room. <laughs> afraid for his life. It was a really brilliant show. It was. It was a really brilliant show. I mean, honestly, it's it's one of the best uh, TV shows, I think, that, that there's ever been. If you listen to Vince Gilligan, he claims they didn't have... An ending in mind. I mean, I think they had an arc. They knew where they were going, but they didn't necessarily because you're gonna take you're gonna take Mister Chips and turn him into Scarface. Well, look what happens to Scarface. You know, Scarface just goes down in a in, in the very seedy world that, right. that he's you know he gets he gets shot to pieces. But they knew where they were going, and how they got there is almost inconsequential because they created all these characters that were like real people. Right, exactly. No, and that's and they, why and they, they spun the top and said, "This yeah. is where this is where they did." And, and where it landed, do. it they let it land. Yeah, that's brilliant writing. Yeah, it really is because you know all you really have to do is set up the characters in a realistic manner, you know, and set up the structure of the story, and then just be true to them. Right, you just follow them, and it's almost like they write themselves at that mm-hmm. point. And so many directors and screenwriters are so dedicated to forcing their characters into doing the things they want them to do that end up feeling really cheap and really fake. Uh, not very many writers have the courage to just uh, allow the characters in the story to kind of go wherever it wants to go. Yeah. Well, like like with Jesse. Jesse said, I want no more, no more part of this killing. But there's one. There's one person... There's one person that he doesn't mind killing. Right. And he gets to take him out. And then when he has the the opportunity to take out the I mean the major infection in his whole life, Walter right. White, he's he says do it yourself. Right. That that was you know, 30 seconds before he's strangling Todd right. with his with his handcuff chains. But he but he won't kill Walt. Right. Do it yourself. I mean that that's that's so true to the character that Jesse was that it just it it, it it couldn't be any other way right and so they didn't necessarily even need to know where the story was going to go as such because if they just wrote it and they were true to those characters then it would it, it couldn't have ended up any other way than it yeah. did well they said and I don't, I don't know if I believe this or not but when he gets that M60 when mm-hmm. he's at the Denny's and he switches the cars and he's they, they knew that he was going to use the gun Somehow, but they just they just didn't know exactly how. And I mean, that's that's. I'm not sure if I necessarily believe them when they. It's it, it's almost like they're holding everything still a little bit too close. Yeah. But if if that's the case, then 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 what then what Michael's saying is true is that it it, it really didn't matter because Walt had to get the gun. Right. Walt had to use it in a, in a certain way, and he used it in a very scientific mechanical way, which was brilliant. And ultimately, he got the bad guy. Yeah, but no, you take see, that and you lay it out before people, and you're like, no, no, "Did Quentin Tarantino write this? Right, putting <laughs> putting this this M60 on this on this on this garage door in a trunk? You know, like, come on, you know, yeah. are, are people's heads flying off too? Right, yeah, um, pretty much. But but it but it but it worked. It didn't feel unnatural. No, it didn't feel unnatural at all. No, and and see then in in at the end of of Breaking Bad, you have a classic case. Of the evil of wickedness destroying wickedness and its evil. Right. Like, if you think about it in terms of God's plan, 
or the sovereignty of God, that ultimately is a, a beginning to a theodicy, to a vindication of God. Because it's like man enters wickedness into the world, and then the evil that that wickedness produces ends up being the force of destruction that removes that wickedness from the world. And I mean, that is a really, really important concept. Because then it's like, well, God isn't responsible for wickedness entering the world, but once it has entered the world, he is responsible for utilizing calamity in order to eradicate it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Exactly. In Breaking Bad, that's what basically happened. You got Walt Whitman, the epitome of the quote-unquote evil man, you know, the, the agent of destruction, the agent of calamity, in the end being the... Walt Whitman? Oh, was it Walt Whitman? Walt White. (laughs) (laughs) In the end being that agent for a quote-unquote good purpose. Like, he he ends up unwittingly being the agent of the destruction of the wickedness that his wickedness has has produced. Which I think is a really interesting concept. Like, I don't know that that Vince Gilligan was uh, conscious of, of writing it in those terms, but... Uh, it doesn't really matter. Like that's just how reality works, right? You, you, you. No can't, one gets away with anything. But you can't perfect the story that God's already written. So if you're going to tell a compelling, good story, right, it has to have essentially creation, fall, redemption, right? And yeah, and, and, it, and it did. It did. I know you've read uh, your reading anyway, Master Margarita. Finished it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. It's a great book, right? Insanity. Yeah, okay, thank you. That, that book is amazing. It's a book by Mikhail Bulgakov, who was a Soviet uh, writer. I'm way into the Russians, by the way. Um, that, my name is Minkov, so Minkov. you expect. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, in that book, the epigraph to that book is a quote from Goethe's Faust. And um, Faust is asking Mephistopheles, um, who are you? And Mephistopheles answers... I am a part of that power which eternally wills evil and eternally works good. And, like, I think that this, uh, as far as God's plan is concerned, it's a really important concept. It's, it, it, it's, it's the, the idea of banging your head against the wall. Right. I mean, you, you are, no matter what you do, God You're, wins. God wins. Yeah, like, Every come time. On, come on, seriously? You, Satan yes, is out yeah, there. seriously. Just like the Assyrians, who yeah. were the rod of God's destruction... You know, was it because they wanted to be God's instrument? It's for, Psalm 2. Right. No, of course not. But they were prisoners <laughs> yeah. to ultimately, to God's plan, be, and and at the same time did exactly what they wanted. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing is that wickedness produces evil, but evil can't destroy good. Like, it can't. It can't ultimately put an end to good. So the only thing that evil ultimately can destroy is itself, is, itself mm-hmm. is wickedness and evil. So that death, in the end, destroys nothing but death. Death is swallowed up in, in victory. victory. Right. Yeah. And, it almost, and it's almost like the death swallowing itself up in death is, <clears throat> is the victory. Yeah. That you know, God utilizes that calamity, that destruction, that the power of that demolition... And, but because there are only the only things that can be shaken are those things which are passing away, right. those things which are corrupted. Right. So those things which are uncorrupt, which are invisible, which are unchanging, which are true, ultimately, those things cannot be destroyed by death, and they can't be destroyed by, by evil. Right. So ultimately, evil doesn't destroy anything but evil. So Satan, even though he is spiteful and filled with malice and absolutely desires to be a mischief maker and a destroyer of all things good, he goes out and does his will, eternally willing evil and wickedness, but eternally working good. Right. He can't help it. Yeah, yeah the, the ultimate example being the crucifixion. Exactly, like, because the crucifixion is a perfect example of the, that crux, which is actually based on the Latin for cross, which makes a lot of sense, but it's the crux of all history. Because in that moment of the cross, you have the ultimately righteous thing, which is also ultimately good, and you also have the ultimately wicked thing, which is ultimate evil, being in the same moment. It's the most wicked thing ever done, and it's the most evil that's ever been done. It was, the, I mean, it was the destruction of the Son of God. I mean, mm-hmm. it was the murder of God's Son. 
and that is the most wicked thing that's ever been done and it produced and it was the greatest act of calamity that's ever been done right. it was also the greatest act of righteousness that's ever been done and the greatest cause of good because in the same way that there's wickedness and evil there's also righteousness and good meaning good doesn't necessarily have a moral valence even though the plowing of the wicked is sin it is not evil do you see woman, what i'm saying woman don't weep for me right weep for yourself exactly so by the death of the Son of God and the the necessity of his resurrection, death lost all of its power, mm-hmm. all of its sting, all of its influence, really. At that moment, its death was sealed. Right. They, you know, and so you have those, the classic, I think, John Owen, who wrote The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Right. Well, guys, I think this has just been brilliant material. Uh, do you want to button this one up? Oh, sure. Sure. I think this is really good, solid this, stuff. I mean, this could go on for... And it seven hours. Well, and it will. This is really like the other bookend to the episode we did on Breaking Bad. This, this is brilliant. Like we started with a great story and how you open up a new story, Breaking Bad, and we talked about its miscellaneous seasons. And then in the middle, we talked about an, uh, the movie Prisoners, where it does it horribly in so many ways. We think. We think. We think. We're not really sure. <laughs> exactly. Again. I'm that's, still trying to suspend that's, my that's disbelief. Where, that's where we're currently at. Right. Yeah. And then we we close it in with Breaking Bad again. And then I think we tie it in all very well. And I think this is great substance. So you can find the show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash moviology slash seven. And thank you for listening. Bye.